playing finals and especially winning finals is also something you have to learn. Uh, you can only learn that by being on that stage, get the, get the thing going on winning it. It's time for baseball from Hamburg, Germany. This is the Alp Academy podcast. And these are your hosts, David and Martin. Moin Moin and hello. Today uh, is the uh, sixth episode. Here is my friend Martin Schulze. Moin Martin. Hey David, really excited to be here today. Today's guest is one of the top coaches. Well, you know, considering his position, one might say he is the top coach in Germany right now. He is the head coach of the German national baseball team. And his name is Steve Janssen. And uh, Steve is the head coach of the German national team senior and under 23. Yeah, you will get to know Steve really soon. Just a couple of key facts about him. Um, he's coaching Team Germany since 2019. So it was his first year last year. And before that, he was coaching the minor leagues. Uh, he worked for the Chicago Cubs organization, won a couple of titles in the, in the Dutch league, and also went to the WBC with Team Netherlands and met Didi Gregorius and all these guys. Yeah, in the first part, we talked a lot about the German national team and how he handles the national team, how everything worked inside of the team at the European Cup in Bonn. Let's hop right into it and enjoy the show. Ja, und jetzt ist äh, unser Interviewpartner auch dabei. Ähm, noch einmal herzlich willkommen, Martin, and welcome to the episode, Steve. Hello. Hi, good afternoon. How are you guys doing today? Yeah, we're good. We're good. Um, uh, yeah, so this is Martin, Steve. Um, also welcome from me. Uh, we already introduced you uh, earlier in the recording. Um, so we're really glad that you're here with us. I'm very happy you guys have me. So really thrilled to be on the show. Thank you. So to get us started, um, we heard that before you became coach of Team Germany, um, you had three offers from different clubs or, or organizations, um, but you chose to become um, coach of Team Germany. Is that is that true? Um, yeah, sort of. Uh, I had contact with a couple uh, minor league teams uh, and uh, at the time the DBV called me and uh, so we sat together, had a good talk and I always, when during my time with the Dutch national team, I always had a feeling that the entire Dutch program had, had much more growth possibilities and there was much more to be accomplished than came out at that particular moment. So I really, I really thought it was a good, uh, yeah, it was a good gig to jump into and uh, really looked at it as a real adventure to get, uh, well, it, it was easy to uh, won, winning the European Championship with all the best players from Holland and the Antilles. Uh, yeah. But I think it's a much bigger accomplishment to, uh, to try to get Uh, baseball in Germany uh, a couple steps forward than winning a championship with all the best players in Europe. Yeah, and you already had your first uh, tournaments and yeah, we just want to look back a little bit. Um, you, The first tournament kind of you had this year it was uh, in 2019 was with the under-23 team, uh, mm -hmm. with Team Germany, but uh, we lost the final. I was hoping and I thought we can win the championship. 
what do you think we fall short at this at this tournament? I mean, we made it to the finals and it's only one game, but I think you also had the same goal like we were had that Team Germany will win it. Well, first of all, if you if you go to a tournament, if you if 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 you keep score, you're playing the win, obviously. Uh, at the end of the road, looking back at it, I think we had a fantastic tournament. Uh, we accomplished a lot of things. I saw players growing, which is the most important thing with uh, with younger players. Um, I think we had a very good uh, defensive tournament. I mean, uh, defense and, and pitching was was awesome. Uh, combined with some timely hitting, the hitting overall was okay. wasn't great, wasn't bad, but it could have been a little bit better. And at the end of the road, like you said, the final is one game. Um, at that time, we ran into a, a very, a very good Czech team, which, yeah, at that particular day, they were just better than we were. Uh, obviously, in combination with, yeah, a lot of those guys that uh, were on the team of the of, of us. It was the first time ever they played a, a final. Uh, mm -hmm. Playing finals and especially winning finals is also something you have to learn. Uh, you can only learn that by being on that stage uh, different times uh, in combination to uh, uh, to get finally get the th get the thing going on winning it. Uh, again, uh, we. I think we really made a huge step forward uh, in that age group. Uh, was the first time ever we came into that position. Obviously, everybody was aware of the number one and two uh, seeded would get uh, a ticket to the World Championship in Mexico later this year. Um, winning the semifinals already gave us that ticket, so there was a, already a little was not a party at all, but there was a, <laughs> there was a little, I mean, okay, first goal is accomplished. Um, and then when we went into the final, I think especially it was only seven inning tournament, uh, mm -hmm. which is new in, in, in international baseball. Um, kind of like, yeah, we needed like three, four innings to kind of like regroup everything and get the first nerves going away. And then, yeah, like I said, uh, the the team of the Czechs we ran into that day were just a better team at that particular day than we were. Uh, we pitched fairly well. We played decent defense. Uh, obviously, the hitting was back a little bit that day, but you got to tip your hat to the Czech pitchers that day. So uh, overall, I think looking back at it, I think we uh, we must be very very happy from what the guys accomplished back there. I think it's very interesting that you say that you have to actually learn to play and especially win finals if you get yourself into that uh, situation. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, I really think, I mean, that's that's huge. I mean, uh, also, I mean, it's the same thing on winning. You got to learn how to win. It's different. I mean, looking back at it, uh, for example, when I was with the Dutch, I mean, over over the years, we played a zillion times against Cuba. We ne could never beat them, but one particular day we beat them, and after that we won more against them than we lost against them. So it's also a, a yeah, it's a mental click that has to get through that entire system. Kind of like okay, we really can do that. 
Yeah. And uh, before we get into the senior national team with the Herren Nationalmannschaft, uh, you guys won the semi-finals against uh, Team Belgium, if I'm right. Correct. Yeah, how is it for you to win with your uh, national team against your national team kind of thing? So uh, <laughs> I think that it's interesting, at least. Yeah, it's it's always fun. It wasn't the first time I've been um, when I was with the Dutch. I mean, uh, since two thousand uh, and three, I think it is uh, three or whatever it was, two thousand three or two thousand four. Uh, I've been playing against Belgium through the years, so it it always gives something special. I mean, I'm, in the under twenty three tournament, it had an it, it had an uh, extra pigment because my nephew was playing third base for Belgium. So that was wow. kind of, that, that gave it an extra an extra <laughs> thing right there. So that was kind of funny. Although he played a good tournament at third base, so uh, I was happy for him at that particular time. But I was more happy that we won at the end of the road. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I believe that. And yeah, and then you guys went with the senior national team to Japan, Japan, and then uh, went back to Bonn and played a. Yeah, how would you rate the? The European Championship. We got the sixth place, so I would say we missed the goal. I would say, but it was still a, a quite good tournament or good quality. I would say that we played there. Well, I think you, I think I couldn't say it any better. Obviously, I mean, we didn't reach our goal. I mean, that's for sure. I mean, sixth place. I mean, we didn't started to uh, to to reach this. I mean, first goal was to be able to uh, be in the top five to be able to play the Olympic qualifying tournament. I mean, that was the main goal. Uh, and then, then from that point, we would see further on what we could accomplish. Uh, on the other hand, I really think even a sixth place doesn't show that. But I even I, I really think as a team. As German baseball, we took a couple steps forward right there. I think we played, we played pretty pretty good baseball, attractive baseball. I mean, both offensively and defensively. I mean, could have we done things better? Absolutely. But in these type of tournaments, you always you also need a little bit of. I mean, you might call it luck, which luck doesn't really exist, but you need the ball going into your favor. And if you look back at all those games, and I watched most of the games, I watched again, like a couple of times again and again, and you see a particular reason, uh, uh, particular situations that, yeah, some things were not in our favor. I mean, a, a call that went the other side, uh, a ball just fair or fall, uh, that type of stuff. Uh, so these type of things you got to be able to have on your side, especially if you play against that high-level teams. Um, I mean, if you want to beat the Italians, I mean, we played uh, we played extras against them. I mean, against a very good Israeli team, which would kind of like – Yeah, had to had the game already almost in our hands. Ball uh, bounced <laughs> off the wall in into it. If it bounces the other side, it's it's like it's not even centimeters; it's millimeters. It's like a homer, game-ending homer. Now the ball stays in, runner thrown out at home plate, and then I don't want to even talk about that uh, almost the last play against the Czechs, <laughs> which was, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I saw it like a thousand times again, and still don't know how things could happen right there so if you take everything together it's kind of like you know what i think we took a great step but did, didn't result in 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 the um yeah in the final standings that in combination obviously with yeah i mean 
I always look at the players we have. I don't look at the players we don't have. But yeah, we could have uh, had a different pitching staff uh, if you would be able to uh, to add another guy that wasn't able to be there. So is available at this tournament, huh? Correct. I mean, for example, yeah, I mean, if you have those type of guys, you put your, uh, I mean, which, like I said, we pitched great. Everybody did a good job, but then you set your pitchers a little differently and you might have somebody out of the bullpen extra that now you have to start. So Mm. things come out differently at the end of the road. But like I said, I think overall we took a uh, we didn't see it really in the result in the in the final standing, but I think we uh, we played a we played a more than a more than decent tournament. And again, we could have done things better uh, on the field, off the field, players, coaches, everybody. Uh, so it's like I said, uh, it was it wasn't bad, but the, the sixth place wasn't really what we were looking for. Yeah, I, I think you're definitely right. And um, I also, I, th- I was there when you guys played the Dutch team. And I mean, I think Daniel team threw a, a good start, but um, yeah, gave, gave up, I think, two hormones to a guy who was just really hot at this day. Um, but the, the big question we always have here in Germany, and I think you're the best person to answer that question, is how can we close the gap to, to, to the Netherlands? Well, first of all, first of all, like I said, I, I, I might have said it a little earlier already. I mean, uh, maybe uh, Germany looked at the Netherlands like the Netherlands back in the days looked at Cuba. How can we beat them? How we can close the gap? And it might only take one or two games. It might, for example, it could have been if we won earlier that that tournament, if we would have beaten uh, the Israeli or, or the Italian team in extra innings, that might change the entire thing right there. It only takes. I don't really talk about want to talk about closing the gaps because the under twenty three we were in second place and the Dutch were in seventh place or sixth place, whatever it was. So it's not about closing the gap. It's about, like I said earlier, winning those games at that particular time right there. I mean, just look at what's happening in the under 12 and under 15. I mean, those guys, those kids with their staff who are doing a great job are beating the Italians, are beating the Dutch. Did that came overnight? No, they did it once. And from that one you only have to do it one time and you start believing it. You do it the second time, you do it a third time and, and the train is going. It just takes that one particular day that everything falls together. And obviously on paper, they might have the possibility to set bigger names on the lineup. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the road, we're all human beings. So it's all, it's all about what you believe I mean, if you believe yourself, you can do that. That's the first step. If you get on the field and you're looking more to the opponent dugout instead of to your own dugout, then you already lost before you even started the game. And I think that was one of the things we tried to accomplish this year is like, hey, how much do you really want it? How much do we really want this to to, to come our way? And I said, again, we came up short a couple times um, but like I said, uh, closing the gap, I think uh, German baseball through the years, and it started, I think, in the, in the 2000s uh, with Coach Freddy out here, who did a tremendous job. And, 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 and from that moment on, I think 
closing the gap with the rest of Europe already started. And through the years up till now, the only thing is it just takes that one particular game where you can take benefit and, and, and win against them. And then I think the train is, is rolling. Yeah, I think so too. I, I, did say, I think you're definitely right. And you can uh, judge it even better than us because you're right uh, with the team. I mean, we were just in a stance and we're looking. But it didn't feel like we're too far away. And you were right. I mean, we're winning under 12, under 15, and in under 23, we also beat them. Um, so I think, um, yeah, Germany's improving. How do you see um, overall improving in Europe? Um, yeah, Martin mentioned your, your, your baseball life already. And you are one of the guys who've been around in Europe a lot in baseball. Well, I think the biggest the biggest thing overall with European baseball is competing against is against the culture. I mean, there's no baseball culture overall in Europe, um, and that's the hardest thing to deal with. I mean, uh, 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 in the entire Europe, there's a soccer culture. That's sport number one, and then depending on one country to the other country, might be handball and ice hockey big, and in the other country, it's cycling and basketball. And then in Holland, it's it's hockey and 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 for example, uh, basketball too as a number two and three sports. So it's it baseball's like yeah for most of the countries, it's like yeah a very small sports. In order to uh, to grow the sport. Yeah, you need, first of all, you need media attention. That's one thing. If you don't get media attention, you're not going to be interesting for uh, sponsorships because the first thing they ask you, like, how many times uh, uh, is my name going to be in front of uh, a newsletter or it's going to be on television or whatever? That's the most important thing. I mean, you see that in cycling, uh, uh like when they start the uh, uh, I call it the the course right there the first the first stage, they're gone and they ride in front for like three four hours. But that sponsorship name is on television. They don't mind the win or lose, but they they can uh, uh, give their sponsorship a certain uh, uh, airtime. So that's the main thing. The main thing is getting media attention. Uh, obviously, if you don't get a lot of media attention, it's very hard to get sponsorship. If it's hard to get sponsorship, if you don't have the money, it's hard to do things. So it's kind of like a little uh, vicious circle. How can we improve things? Well, I think Europe, your baseball has to work more together uh, instead of everybody looking in his own kitchen. Uh, we kind of try to work together a little bit more through uh, through all the federations instead of working against each other. I mean, through the years, for example, Holland and Italy that were always against each other. Um, through the years, we came back together a little bit more and tried to work things through, which I think at that time benefited uh, uh, European baseball in general. Later on, that thing went apart again. So I really think if all if all different federations would work together a little bit more with the baseball aspect in front of them and not the political aspect in front of them, because that's another thing, um, I think that would benefit European baseball a lot in general and, and try to just get together like a bunch of people, baseball people, again, not the political people, but the baseball people to to make the game and to uh, grow the game in Europe. Yeah, and um, yeah, the, the baseball, most known baseball is obviously in America and the MLB. Um, 
you think the MLB can help European baseball a little bit more than they do right now? I mean, obviously, they could always help more than they do right now. I must say, I don't see. I mean, that's. I mean, I'm, I won't make a lot of friends saying that, but I don't see them helping a lot at all. Uh, MLB is is uh, uh, an organization that has a hundred dollars in the pocket in the morning, and at the end of the day, they need a hundred and one. So they they try to uh, gain money. That's that's a business. Therefore, instead of west, I prefer to look east. I think uh, there are much more possibilities uh, if you, if you look at NPB, uh, the Japanese MLB right there. I think those people can help European baseball more than uh, other people are doing right now. Because, yeah, those type of guys, they, I mean, if you just see, we were able to go to uh, Japan um, for that um uh, training camp before the European tournament. And I can't imagine like 95%, maybe 99% of Germany were like, how is the DBV able to pay that trip? Well, I can say one thing. We only had to pay 20% of that trip because the rest was paid by Japan. Hmm. So looking at that, and I'm not talking about money, but also about the aspect and, and the game in Asia they're playing, I think, yeah. We have to look more toward the east, eastern part of the world too. And I know today it's a little difficult to do that, but still <laughs> um, looking that way too, which doesn't mean we don't need MLB anymore. No, okay, we take the best from MLB. We take the best from the KBO in Korea. We take the best of NPB. We take the best of uh, Japan. We take the best of CPBL in Taiwan and get all that stuff together. Like I said, we, we're. I think European baseball is gambling too much on one horse these days, um, and there's much more in the world than only Major League Baseball to get better. Yeah, I'm asking this question because MLB is obviously um, they are the number one that you think of that you can ask for help. I would say that's why I'm mm -hmm. asking if you if you think they can do more or to get more information or maybe uh, yeah help us as well to grow the game they just started the um, london series but the the tickets were for example ridiculous expensive for mm -hmm. family yeah correct like i said earlier i mean it's yeah. actually the same thing what i just said like mlb is a business that has 100 euros and wants to make a gain at the end of the road uh, i mean obviously they're they're planning games i mean I mean, they put out, I mean, together with MLB, they put out a great facility in Holland with the meaning of playing games out there down the road. Uh, but at the end of the road, they're going to um, London where they have to make an entire uh, a field out of a soccer stadium in like a couple of days to play two games. Mm -hmm. So like I said, it's, it's yeah. Obviously, it's 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 a lot of money uh, decisions involved in that type of stuff. And and, and as far as I know, if if Corona is lets us play this year, um, they're planning to do it in London again, right? They don't use uh, I don't know the field in Hofdorp and maybe extend the seats there a little bit or Regensburg no, or you no, name it's it. going yeah. it's going back to London. I mean, everything yeah. that is still there, all the clay and all the gravel and all the whatever the. the the paddings and everything is still stored in the uh, stadium in London. So if, if, and I don't think they will be playing it because I think out of my head, it was already June they planned that series. 
between the Cubs and the Cardinals. So I, I don't see that happening. Uh, if they play at that time, I think they will still play in the U.S., but let us hope for the European baseball fan they do. No. Yeah, no, okay, true. So so like you said, a lot of business, a lot of politics involved there. Um, let's get back to the sports part of it a little more. So, you know, now talking about uh, playing you as a coach of the national team, um, there are so many little things that, that when we prepared for this interview, there's so many little things that we thought of and that um, also uh, our players um, think of. And one of the questions is, like, how do you actually communicate during, during a tournament with a team? How do they all know um, where to go, what to do when? You know, do you have, is it all done in meetings? Do you have uh, some sort of tool that you use? How does, how does that work in the national team? Well, first of all, obviously, the main things, uh, the main things we discuss before the tournament, um, I'm, I'm not, I'm trying to minimize meetings as much as we can, because um, I always think less is more. For example, with the staff, we're, well, first of all, take a step back, we make a day plan. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a day plan, what we uh, will type out and we, uh, and we post it. Uh, uh, that says like what time it's breakfast, what time is lunch, what time does the bus go or what time there's a, a pitch and catching meeting or what time there's a scouting meeting, uh, what time BP starts and so on and so on and so on. Yeah. I used to, when I, back in the days, I used to post that in the hotel, but I don't do that anymore. Uh, just for security reasons, I mean, uh, nobody in the hotel needs to know when we're in our rooms, yes or no. So these yeah, days, so we just make, uh, we just use the social media, just make a WhatsApp group where yeah. we kind of like post the daily schedule in there. So everybody had, has it on his phone. Uh, that's how we do that. And then we start the day uh, with the staff, uh, coaches, uh, medical people. We start the day uh, at breakfast and we go to breakfast about a half an hour before the rest of the team. And we have like a, yeah, like a, a staff meeting about that day. So that could be, uh, we start with the medical people talking about, okay, in injuries, uh, who did, who came for treatment? Uh, is there anybody we have to be aware of? Is there anybody limited in playing time and so on and so on. After that, we go into yeah, into the coach meeting itself and talk about the players. For example, a little evaluation of the day before uh, about the game, talk about the players and talking about yeah that day's uh, game. Okay, uh, uh, I'll throw out my idea who, who will be playing and then look hearing about other coaches about their input, about their thoughts, and then see if it's the same or not. And we can discuss that, yes or no. But at the end of the road, uh, it's my final decision, obviously, who's who's playing and who's not playing. And then during the day, we'll have uh, 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 most of the times after, for example, like Bond, we already had, uh, always had uh, night games. Mm-hmm. So after after lunch or in the morning, we kept it light for the guys. Um, obviously, there's treatment going on. Guys who need little uh, whatever, who had some uh, small uh, small injuries, need treatment. Do that in the morning, a little bit in the afternoon, and then after after the lunch, we had uh, I posted the lineup 
um, yeah. for that night game. So they already know way before they go to the ballpark if they're playing yes or no. I mean, also to give somebody who's not playing and who feels a little uncomfortable or is a little bit disappointed that he can get that off his chest by the time he gets on the bus uh, right. to don't have any negative influence. And then after lunch, also have like a little pitching catching meeting about their lineup. Um, how are we going to pitch uh, those those uh, hitters? Um same thing with the hitters. We most of the times we provide them if we if we have it, a video if it, a video we made ourselves or out of YouTube, uh, send it to them. Like, hey, we know this guy. If we know who's starting for them, I could probably this guy is starting for them, so they can take a look at it whenever they feel like. And then obviously we get together uh, in the bus, and then we're driving to the field, and then from there everything is uh, pretty standard. Okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so your coaching stuff is also helping you to scout the players during during the season. I know you watched a couple of games, but obviously you can't be at every at every field uh, at the same time. Yeah, correct. Um, uh, the majority of our guys last year of of, of the coaching staff, um, we are. We had a lot of uh, coaches that were connected to a team, so they they saw a lot of games. So and then we uh, we put everything. I made like a Google Doc uh, document where we kind of like uh, after every weekend, we added stuff in from the players. Every coach uh, saw was it live or was it to the stream, which is huge, obviously in Germany, having all the games being streamed or most of the games. So that's huge to. Uh, to keep track of everybody, or even if if you're in in uh, at certain fields, you can still during the week see other games you were not able to see uh, in person or one of the guys. And then we put everything in a in a document, and um, yeah, so we can keep track of of most of the players. Fanclub Deutsche Baseball Nationalmannschaft, dein Platz direkt hinter der Homeplate. Folgt uns auf Instagram oder Facebook unter dem Hashtag Wir leben Baseball. All right. And yeah, obviously a coach uh, has a lot of good things to do. But as a national team coach, you also have to, uh, yeah, to get your roster together, get your squad together. And obviously you have to cut a couple of players and tell them maybe they're not good enough or you have already, I don't know, three shortstops. You don't need a fourth one. Um, yeah, how do you feel and how do you do it? I mean, there's also interesting for other coaches. I mean, it's a, 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 almost a weekly decision that we have to do. Tell a player he's not on the roster, not in the starting lineup and, and all that stuff. So how you do it and yeah, how does it feel for you sometimes as a coach? Well, first of all, you know, it's part of the job, but it's not fun. Let that be clear. Through the years, I never really had trouble. I mean, obviously, we, I ran into players that were not happy, obviously, and were disappointed. Uh, I was lucky to work with most of the guys I cut through the years. They took it professionally. I also ran into guys that took it personally. The only thing what players never understand or is that a coach will always take the guys he thinks at that particular moment will give him the most potential to win. So if he, a coach will never cut the guy that's going to be his best player, 
under normal circumstances, 99.9% of the times. So it's not fun cutting players. On the other hand, you have to do it. I mean, it could be different reasons. I mean, first of all, uh, you don't cut a player because he's not good enough. Because if he was not good enough, then at that particular time, you already made a mistake because then he shouldn't be on the preliminary roster. Mm-hmm. It could be that a player at that particular moment in time in the year was just a little bit in, in his down period. That can happen. I mean, you get guys that, I mean, during a year, you get you get highs and you get lows. Um, yeah, that's human beings. That's correct. That's what it is. And then you have also external factors. I mean, just for an example, I mean, I'm not going to name a name right here just to give an example a player x i had last year and i called him in march uh, or no wait a second in may i called him in may and i told him like hey i don't i just want to be straight up with you i won't have room for you this year on the national team Mm -hmm. because at that particular moment i already knew there were i had a lot of other opportunities for that particular position so the guy, I mean, obviously he was uh, not happy. He took it very professionally. I must say that it was actually uh, an example. Um, but what did he do? He could have done two things. He could have done uh, sit back and relax. Or what did the guy do? He took a couple extra steps. I mean, okay, he was a, he, he was out with his team early because of yeah the tournament the the the, league, the Bundesliga was a little different last year because it's ended pretty early, so his team was done early, and he just went to uh, another country and played there. Playing there gave him the opportunity to play every single week, and at the end of the road, he was putting up great numbers. We gave him a chance to come with us to Japan which was out of the blue. Mm. And right there, he proved that he was better at that particular time in the year than the guys we had in camp. So we took him. Mm. So just to be right there, like I said, cutting players, uh, if, if a player is cut from, from a roster or even from a starting lineup or whatever, I mean, most of the times they take it personal. But then I always ask him the question like, hey, just reverse it. You're the coach. I'm I'm the player. Okay. And then most of the times, I mean, I did it way back with, with, with the Dutch too. I mean, uh, and, and I will say the name. It was Dwayne Kemp. I mean, he's uh, he's been on every – since he was a little leaker, he's been on every national team from, from Holland. And in 2014, I didn't took him. And he was very frustrated. And when I told him, when he, if his eyes were uh, bullets, he would have shot me. But uh, to make a long story short, at the end of the t- at the end of the tournament, um, and during the winter period, he walked up to me and said, "Steve, you know, again, I could kill you at that particular moment, but you know what? You were right because I looked in the mirror. If I would have been a coach at that time, I would have taken myself because." I was cutting the corners. I wasn't playing good. I didn't do the things I needed to do. And but and that what's that's what you want. That's the reaction of a player you want. And obviously you run into players that say, like, yeah, but that guy who you took that guy in front of me and I'm better than him. Players that say that, 
these are not team players. And that's very important for me. It's team players, especially on a national tour, uh, national team uh, where you have players. Uh, you take the best players possible. But if I take, for example, uh, uh, two, three players from Hamburg, if they go on the national team, they're probably starters with Hamburg. They're probably mm-hmm. a starting shortstop or a starting first baseman or starting catcher or whatever position they play. But in a national team, they might be a bench player. And that's something you have to consider too. If is that guy able to be a guy playing being a bench player, or will he be a negative influence on the team in that particular time? So those type of things you also have to uh, keep in mind. Uh, and another thing is that a lot of uh, people always say you take the best players. Well, I've, absolutely, I never take the best players. I take the best team. And by I'm not taking uh, uh, the best uh, uh, eight short uh, eight infielders because I might have seven shortstops with me. So I look at yeah. the positions, and obviously, obviously you have the possibility for a guy that can switch over to second base or from short to third. You can see that, but overall, you look at the positions they're playing, and you try to form the best team where everybody benefits the most from it. Yeah, and you were definitely right in making this decision. I guess uh, we're talking about uh, the guy who started pitching against the Czech Republic. Um, I don't know. I was not talking about any, any guys in particular. <laughs> no, I know. Right. Yeah, but I mean that's that's the thing. I mean, uh, uh, again, the, per, the the person I talked about, and and that's what I told him in person too. And on the other hand, uh, I had guys that that didn't make it. I mean, there was, for example, a guy that didn't make it and I had a very it was the first time ever he got caught and and I had a very good conversation with him and at the end of that conversation he said well actually you're right I didn't do a lot in the uh, in in the in the time that lead up towards the training camp and that type of stuff where yeah you know at a certain level you cannot cheat I mean it's not about cheating I'm not talking about particular guys are cheaters. But what I mean with cheating is at the end of the road, you will get, it will show to you if you're ready to compete, yes or no. There, You can't make any shortcuts at a certain level of play. Even if you're, even you might be able to do that in the Bundesliga and still might be one of the better players. But at a certain level, you will always, they will always put that against, you will always uh, uh, get a breaking ball thrown back at you. Yeah. True. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so let's um, get back to sort of the way practice works. That that's uh, interesting for the na- with a national team. Obviously, you don't. It's not a club team where you're with the players all the all season long. So, how does it work? Do you do you run camps? Um, is it how many camps do you have? Do, is it just individual days, or do you work in groups? And and during those practice sessions. Do you what do you put your focus on? Like, are you actually trying to change somebody's hitting, or are you working on strengthening, conditioning, strategic work? What what's sort of maybe you can tell talk a little bit about that? Well, that's for me. That was the biggest adjustment I needed to make. I mean, come coming uh, uh, from Holland, where I was able to see all the guys two to three times a week from January first till uh, December thirty first. Right. We we actually uh, trained like like a regular team. You were really able to work on things daily with them and and so on. 
Now, how do you have to look at it right now? I mean, obviously, Germany being a country as big as it is, we don't have the possibility, first of all, uh, practically, to get everybody together once a week to practice. Um, plus, another thing is, I mean, we have we are dealing with guys that just have a nine-to-five job, uh, Monday through Friday, or even guys that have to work in the weekend uh, are still going to school and this and that. I mean, in combination with their families and then baseball, which a lot of teams also have like three, four workouts and then play in the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, or a doubleheader on one of the two days, yeah. which makes it very complicated. So the way you have to look at it, it's more like, like, like a soccer setting, okay? Getting together a couple of days before, uh, 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 before a game or in our situation, getting together like a week or two weeks before a tournament. Uh, obviously, if you get together a week or two weeks before a tournament, you're not going to change anybody's swing or you're not right. going to change anybody's mechanics because you don't, it's not the right time to do that. Yeah. Obviously, last year we had the possibility to start uh, earlier. We went to a training camp in Tenerife with like a combination of under 23 and the national team where we had the possibility to have a good training camp right there. And then you can tell, obviously, you can. I mean, obviously, we have contact with players through the years. I mean, players sending uh, uh, short clips of, 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 of their throwing mechanics or their hitting and this and that and kind of like look at it and, and talk with them about it. I mean, right now we had the, the World Baseball Classic. I mean, we had a little training camp in front. I mean, uh, guys work on their fielding. I mean, we had the fielding guy uh making a little personal development plan for them, kind of like uh, said, what were their pluses? But more important, what were things they needed to work on with little clips and sending it to him? Yeah. So it's more it's more that way of doing it, um, unfortunately, it, uh, than, than really being able to get on the field and to be on the field with those guys. On the other hand, if we look back at last year, we had time, we had guys that were both on the under 23 and the national team. These were guys who worked together for six, seven weeks. And at the end of the road, you really saw those guys making like, yeah, at least a step, some of them two, three steps forward in that particular time, because then you were able to work daily with the, with the guys and you really saw their improvement right there. Right. So do you only have like these plans for them right uh, before a tournament or do you do that all year long? Well, the thing is, obviously we're doing that all year long, but obviously we can still do a better job on that. Uh, also in communication with, with local coaches right. or the players we have. Uh, last year, what I did, I mean, and that's another thing. I mean, I was able to do that. I mean, the other coaches weren't really able to do that because of their jobs and that type of stuff. But um, when I went last year to uh, to watch games, and I, st for example, in the weekend, and I stayed over the week in certain parts uh, of the uh, of the country, and then I went to the uh, practices myself of the of the club teams. Um, to kind of like, yeah, talk to the guys and kind of like give a little bit uh, feedback on them, what they were doing and talk about guys about their swing, talk with their coaches about that particular guy's swing of that guy's pitching mechanics. So they were able, by the time I, uh, by the time I'm gone after that one or two days, they kind of like work on that and try to focus on that the rest of the year, Yeah, which is obviously not the same that, that you were, 
that you are with the guy every single day, obviously. Mm. Um, yeah, I have, I have a little question um, because I think it's pretty interesting for our listeners because you mentioned that you were able to coach the team from or the, 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 the team from uh, from the Netherlands once a week or, or, or two or three times a week. Um, yeah. Maybe it's interesting to know or understand how is this possible. I mean, are they all professional baseball players, or I mean, we all know Netherlands is not as big as Germany, but still uh, not a, not a small town. No, first of all, it's very. It's uh, first of all, it's it's way smaller. I mean, if everybody drives an hour, uh, if you kind of like uh, uh, practice central, and everybody drives an hour, everybody's there. So that's not. I mean, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. Back in the days, back in the days on Mondays and Wednesday nights, there was always a national team practice. That's how they did it. They did it on Mondays. They did it in uh, Rotterdam. On Wednesdays, they did it in Harlem. Through the years, obviously, they became an A-status uh, 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 sport from the Olympic Committee where uh, 28 players were actually almost paid full-time to be uh, an Olympic sporter. Mm. Or with other um, words, being a uh, professional baseball player, just to... Correct. Because here, Correct. here it's a little bit different sometimes. Yeah. Okay, good. And who, yeah. who were they paid by? The federation or the club? Government, I guess. Yes. They were playing by the Olympic Committee. Mm -hmm. um, so the government actually, I mean, yeah, Olympic Committee, it's a lot of sponsor money from, uh, I think it's a little bit of the same every, everywhere. is like lottery and that type of stuff. Yeah. Now, we had 28 in the beginning. It, it went down to, like, I think these days they have 26 or something like that, or 24, whatever. Now, who were they? those players? Well, every year, the Dutch national baseball team has like an evaluation tournament that is either a European tournament, European championship, mm -hmm. or, for example, back in the days, it was the world championship. These days, it's like a Premier 12 or the World Baseball Classic or the Olympic Games. At If they reach their goal in their tournament, in those tournaments, the goal is for a European tournament, they need to finish top two. And for a world tournament, they need to finish top eight. If they finish, if they reach their goals, they will get another year of funding for that entire program. If they don't reach that goal, then the Olympic Committee can review it and maybe take portion of that entire money away or some maybe even everything away. So that's where it so, gets interesting after losing against Israel, right? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, absolutely, they had three evaluation moments last year. Obviously, they they won the Europeans, which make them, but then they didn't qualify for the Olympics and they didn't finish top eight for the Premier 12. So I don't know. I, I mean, I don't have the connections anymore with the... Uh, I don't know what's going to happen out there, but I mean, hopefully for the players and 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 their uh, and the coaches, it's not like that. But it could be that the Olympic Committee says, like, hey, you know what? Uh, we there's going to be less budget the next couple of years. It could be. I don't know. I mean, I have no idea what's going to happen. But that's actually the the entire. Uh, yeah, that's actually the thing that's going on, and that obviously gave us the opportunity to uh, work together with those guys two, three times a week, even during the 
during the uh, the season. Right. Yeah. Okay, so Steve, um, another big step in your coaching career must have been uh, the step to go work in the U.S. in the minor leagues to be a pitching coach with the Chicago Cubs organization. Yeah, correct. That was uh, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. How do you like when you compare now the national team um, and and the minor leagues? I mean, obviously it's a it's very different because, like you said before, the national team you don't really practice all the time, but the minor leagues you're going to be hands on all of the time. But still, in regards to coaching, how is there a difference um, besides the fact that you're not with the team all the time in in Germany? The biggest the biggest difference I. I saw, and I can imagine it different from one organization to another uh, uh, major league organization. The biggest difference is you're one of the coaches in the system, which means you don't really, um, how can I say it correctly? You're not the general manager of the organization. Yeah, correct. <laughs> and the thing is, you're actually, you're one of the puppets. You know yeah. what I mean? It's mm. like yeah. you have to, uh, if they say, for example, and that happens, you can't talk to a certain player, for example. You can't talk to player A or B or C because whatever reason. Um, the reason would is, be interesting, no? Yeah, correct. <laughs> it, could be, it, could, it could be different reasons. It could okay. be a reason like, hey, you know what? That guy has been, I mean, for example, that guy has been signed for so many millions of dollars. And they all only will have like uh, one particular guy talking to him for a special, okay. special reason. Um, on the other hand, it could be, uh, for example, I mean, it, I know about organizations that the first thing they say when coaches come in, like, we want you to teach. Something went a little wrong right there when I went with the Cubs. I mean, when they interviewed me, um, when I got the phone call from the assistant general manager at that time, I mean, the right hand from Theo Epstein, uh, he said, like, hey, we're producing a lot of uh, position players, good young position players, but we're not producing any pitching. And uh, we want to take the totally different uh, route on the on the pitching. And, yeah, we heard about your different ideas and your out-of-the-box thinking on model learning, on weighted balls, on long toss, and all that type of stuff. So we want to change things through. So, again, make a long story short, I got at spring training, and from the first minute I saw the opposite was happening, which at that particular moment kind of like was kind of strange. But I was like, okay, I'm new. I mean, I take a step back and I do what I need to do, and – at the end of the road, I had a fantastic year. Uh, I had a fun year. Uh, I still have a lot of connection with the kids. I mean, it was fantastic. Uh, out of the 15 pitchers I had with my team, six of the six of them went to uh, to a higher team, uh, which is actually what you're doing it for. Um, so it was fun, but for me, it was not at that particular time. It was not the right fit. Because the pitching coordinator they brought in, they brought him after they hired me, and he had a totally different philosophy. And then obviously, then there is a little yeah, this call disconnection. Uh, but at the end of the road, you do what you have to do, and you make the best out of it. Again, I had a fantastic year. I had fun times, uh, but that's the biggest difference. You're just one of a system where you can yeah 
it depends from your personality, but at the end of the road, you can have a lot of stuff. You kind of like feel sometimes with one hand chained uh, to the wall because you cannot really get rid of all your passion and all your dedication to put in and, and, and sometimes knowledge to put into that because the idea of the organization limits you to do that. But like I said, I can imagine, and I know a lot of people that work in other organizations, and I know right now with the cups, it's it's different too because they changed their entire uh, uh, pitching, uh, call it uh, program, and people, for especially people. So um, again, it's it depends from one uh, uh, organization to the other. But that's the biggest thing. Where you can go, like for example, if you're with a regular team or with with uh, the DBV, you can give, yeah, you can throw everything out you know or you want to do, which you're limited it in organized baseball. Right, right, right. Um, interesting. So, how when how did this come about for you that you that they picked you? Um, how you know? What did they call you? Did you meet them before? How did that work? Well, obviously, I mean, it's very simple these days. Every Everything goes through network. I mean, obviously, yeah. they're looking for people. They're talking to people. Uh, go like, hey, we're looking for that and that, that type of person. Um, and then they, one guy says, hey, I know this guy and I know that guy. And then, yeah, somebody threw out my name. And that's how they called me and they called me and I did an interview through the phone. And two days later, a second interview to the, through the phone and a week later, another, a third interview through the phone. And then they said, they told me like, Hey, we want to bring you in. Uh, what do you, what do you, what do you prefer? We're thinking about double A or we're thinking about the Arizona league, which is yeah. what they call the babies. And at that particular moment, I said, like, you know what? I rather, I think my impact for the organization could be more when I work with the young guys that come in. Because at that at that particular time with those guys, you can still teach. I mean, guys at double A level, I mean, you have like it's 50-50. You get guys that are coming up, like talented pitchers, but all, the other 50% are guys that's sending up and down that are frustrated, yeah. kind of like, yeah. So I said, like, you know what? And also because it was my first step into pro ball, I was like, hey, you know what? So I was like, I'll get used to it. Get used to it. So, and I think yeah. for the organization, I think I would uh, be able to, yeah, the organization organization could be benefit more of my uh, uh, teaching skills right there with the younger guys than up in at the double A level, for example. So yeah, I see. Yeah, interesting. Um, so when we had Simon Juring on uh, in the first uh, show, he said uh, he was playing. He was with the Brewers, right, for two seasons, and um, mm-hmm. he said that um, when we asked him about pay, um, he said, "Well, as a minor league player, you're one of the worst paid employees, um, uh, you know, in general." Is that <laughs> what's that like on the coaching side? Well, I'm not going to say it's any different. I mean, obviously, let's put it that way. Um, I think you can compare it with just a normal average uh, day-to-day job in Germany. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's not compared with the soccer coaches at all. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, it's not that I had to ride the Uber at night to get money. Absolutely right. not. But I mean, it didn't. It did, that year didn't make me rich at all. Yeah. But it was just a, a normal, a normal standard pay. What I think the majority of the people in Europe have, or um, or elsewhere in the world. So, so it was. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was just normal. Nothing special, but not in, uh, on, on the on the plus side or the minus side. It yeah. was just a, an average pay, yeah. So it seems a little better than than the players' pay because Simon mentioned that you know. Yeah, I mean the play, the player the players. Well, the biggest difference, the biggest difference, the players are being paid from the first day of the league starts till the last day of the league starts. Yeah, and so, that's where yeah. a lot of a lot of people kind of like miss miss seeing that go like hey you know what i mean for example just a minor league player there are guys that only make a couple hundred dollars a month two yeah. three four hundred dollars a month that's it um and i know i know of guys even guys that played in the, in the national team in holland when they played uh, in minor leagues and they played up to double a they played for $700 a, a month where they still had to pay their rent of their apartment from so that's very, very, very underpaid. As as you know, like a minimum minimum salary, even for a guy that is uh, uh, unemployed in Europe, is like I don't know how it is, but it's more. It's more than seven hundred dollars yeah, out there. Yeah. And another thing is that's only the the the, the months of uh, I call it of the uh, of the season. Even during spring training, they don't get it. Yeah, because right. then they have hotel and they get food and everything. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very – at the end of the road, I mean, that's what a lot of people don't really realize, that it is uh, – it's not all beauty. Absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you mentioned that they call the Arizona League the baby league. Uh, but, um, yeah, we, we were – did some research and you guys did a did a great job. Um, but how do you compare the young talent that you were working with with in Arizona, which I guess is a lot of American and uh, Latin Americans? How is it compared to to Europe? Do why are they still better than we have than the talent we have here in Europe? Or what do you think? Obviously, why we had yeah. yeah obviously, Sorry. with with the cups. We had a lot of Dominican guys, mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, we also had a lot of U.S. guys, obviously. But we had a lot of Dominican guys because the Cubs have a, a, a DR facility. Mm -hmm. DR stands for Dominican Republic. So, Republic, yeah. correct? Okay, yeah. Yes. What's the biggest thing? Well, first of all, the athleticism, athletic ability of the individual. Mm -hmm. If I look back, and I might jump a little bit back on the previous thing we talked about, European baseball in general, a lot of European baseball players, I call them like fifth-ranked talents. What I mean with that, without being disrespectful, baseball in Europe, I'm not talking about Germany in particular, but in, in the entire Europe, the bigger talents go and play soccer. Mm -hmm. And a lot of guys, a lot of people that we're getting in Europe is like he tried soccer, didn't it didn't succeed. He tried basketball, didn't succeed. He tried hockey, didn't succeed. He tried volleyball, didn't succeed. I might try baseball. The real talented kids we're getting are, for example, the son of dad that grew up on a baseball field 
And once in a while, you get those particular players, and maybe every club has a couple in the entire country. You have a couple of hundred that are all really the guys that really talented kids that choose for baseball. And that's the biggest, the biggest thing, the biggest difference between the kids in the U.S. and the kids from the Dominican Republic or Venezuela era, because the better athletes, the best athletes on that island, they're going to play baseball. They're not going to play soccer. They're not going to play. I mean, how many times did we see in Europe in general, if we're going to a school and we do a clinic, the guys that are the best players, they can throw the ball good, they can hit. And now we say like, hey, you want to try out? Oh, no, no, I'm, uh, I can because those, those hours I got to go to soccer practice. So that's the biggest thing. It's the overall athletic ability. And don't misunderstand me, and I hope that the people in Germany don't misunderstand me right now. I'm not pointing at at the kids in Germany because right now I'm talking about the general uh, Europe thing mm-hmm. right now. But it's really it's, is, it's something that we uh, talk about too. You know, I mean, even in the from the very young age, you 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 look at you know who's playing baseball and who's playing soccer. It's I mean, it's obvious. That that kids that are good 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 athletes, most of them will go play soccer or some other sport where that that's popular in the country. Yeah, correct. Yeah, correct. Yeah, absolutely. Which and, is one of the biggest challenges in in correct. I mean, baseball. just look. I mean, just look. I mean, two big baseball names in Germany. I mean, the Lutz brothers. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were handball players. Yeah, and played hockey, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, and playing yeah, hockey, they came yeah. up out of handball and I mean, and and went down into baseball. I mean, we all know what what they meant for for, for German baseball. We we all meant what Sasha did. We all know what what Donald accomplished. So, but the thing is, overall, they came out of those different sports. Which I'm a big believer that uh, you have to do multiple sports at the yeah. end of the road, and we'll come back what I said earlier. Because that brings up your athletic, athletic. Uh, I mean, your athletic ability. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember a story. We had a, uh, a coaches clinic, and there was a guy from America talking and telling us, "If you don't play baseball at the age of ten, you're definitely not going to make it in the major leagues." And then somebody said, "Yeah, but Donald Lutz plays major league." But and he started with team. He mm-hmm. said, "No, that's not true." And it was it was still a, still a funny situation in this room. But. Um, you're definitely right. And I think it also goes back to what you mentioned earlier with the media, because I mean, um, yeah, our heroes in Europe, in Germany in particular, they're all soccer players. They don't know Max, they don't know the Lutz brothers or some some other guys. So I think that's um, also the problem what we have to work on, that we get more media attention, like you mentioned earlier. Correct. And the thing is, for example, uh, I mean, you, t- you take, uh, for example, uh, uh, a famous soccer player and you, you let him to walk together on, the, on on in the street together with Max they're walking together over the street they really have a lot of guys walking up to the soccer player to ask for a selfie or ask for uh, an autograph but depending where you are in the country nobody will walk up to Max because they have no idea who he is no not really you're right yeah. So that's another thing. And, and it's very important, too, that especially for youth players, they need examples. And obviously, Max is an example for everybody right now. Uh, but yeah, 
it would have been perfect if Donald and Max would have been together at the same time. Yeah, yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, let, let's hope that Marcus, who's on a roll right now, might be able to jump in there for, I mean, let's hope that or somebody else that comes up and have some same time at the same time as uh, as Max has. And that will, yeah, a country can benefit from that because that's the biggest thing, for example, with the Dutch too. I mean, not really the Dutch, but the Antilles with uh, uh, especially Curacao, because all those guys are in the major league at the same time, mm. which makes it explode at the youth level at the island because they have all those gods in front of them where yeah. they look up to. Yeah. yeah. So, David, we are with Teil 1 here. We make here a cut. Um, Steve Janssen has offensively a lot to tell. Der hat ganz viele Insights, fand ich total spannend, was er über die U23 erzählt hat und über die EM in Bonn. Dann natürlich seine Zeit bei den Cups und inwiefern Deutschland oder Europa, Baseball Europa mit Amerika vergleichbar ist. Und dass es schon recht klar ist, wo, wo die Probleme liegen und wie wir die halt auch angehen könnten. Das war wie gesagt Teil 1. Teil 2 wird noch mal richtig spannend. Da geht es ja um richtig äh, große Namen. Erzähl mal. Ja, äh, wie gesagt, ich fand auch den ersten Teil super. Im zweiten Teil am Mittwoch sprechen wir hauptsächlich auch über den WBC, also den World Baseball Classic, äh, unter anderem in 2017, äh, wo er mit Team Holland im Halbfinale gegen Puerto Rico zum Beispiel gespielt hat und wie er äh, unter anderem äh, die ganzen Big Leaguer da begrüßt hat oder den einen oder anderen sogar geholfen hat. Ja, und dann natürlich die berühmt-berüchtigten Kids-Questions. Und bevor wir jetzt zum Ende kommen, möchte ich mich einmal ganz herzlich äh, beim Fanclub der Deutschen Baseball-Nationalmannschaft bedanken, die uns jetzt hier auch so ein bisschen unterstützen und uns auch einfach helfen, dass wir das Spiel in Deutschland äh, größer werden lassen können. Genau, und wenn wir schon bei Danke sind, dann auch nochmal Danke an JD für das Intro und Danke an Kevin McLeod für den Song Surf Shimmy, den wir hier benutzen. In diesem Sinne, von uns aus, tschüss und bis später. Genau, auch von mir, tschüss, bis dann.